Well, hey, Northside, great to see you at the early bird special this morning. Hope everybody's doing all right. Just checking your pulse. Everybody doing okay? Good, good. Great time of worship together this morning. Let's take a moment and welcome everybody uh, in the video venue and online into the 945. Really glad you guys are here with us. There's something about uh, just encouraging one another in affirmation. And this last week, I've had a couple of opportunities to, uh, to experience kind of an impacting moment. Uh, one was this last Monday night where I was invited to uh, go to an AA meeting where a friend of mine, uh, a buddy here in the life of Northside, uh, Drew Wortham, uh, was able to receive his five-year sober chip. And uh, isn't that awesome to be able to celebrate that? And it was very kind of him to let me come and be a part of that and, and celebrate with him. And I'd never been to an AA meeting before, but it was really encouraging. And at the end, I was just saying, uh, Drew, that was, uh, that was really something. God was honored. Uh, sin was repented of. Encouragement and warning were given. Forgiveness flowed. I felt like I was in church for just a moment, you know. It was an incredible thing. That The power of affirmation is amazing. And that's what we want to focus on in a little bit this weekend. Now, uh, Nate will be here the next, next weekend. He's just catching his breath uh, to be able to, to get ready to roll and finish the series over these next two weekends. But this power of affirmation and understanding our identity of who we are in Christ and who God has called us to be is so important. Uh, the other event that I had was a week ago yesterday on Saturday. And I had the opportunity to participate and be a part of... Uh, a tearful and a joyful celebration of a good friend of our family uh, we've known for over 40 years who uh, went to be with the Lord. Uh, and he was here in the life of, of Northside for a good bit off and on. He helped a lot of other churches around. His name was Chris Matcham. And Chris, I got to know Chris when I was a youth minister up in Scottsburg long ago. And uh, we had recruited a, a, a team for church camp over in Wonder Valley to come serve with kids uh, from the College of the Scriptures, which is a predominantly African-American school, which Chris was a part of. And he's, through the years, helped uh, black churches, white churches, diverse churches, all the way around and remained a friend. But uh, his, uh, his body kind of wore out. He'd had a, a, a lot of different ailments and things like that, and he went to be with the Lord. But the celebration we had was incredible at uh, Christ Church for the Community uh, there in the south end of, of Louisville. And I got to be a part of that. They asked me to, to share just a little moment, a, a brief memory of Chris, and he had that affirming heart and spirit. Now, when I preached in the south end of Louisville in the late 80s, uh, Chris was a part of the church, helped some others, but he was with us for a good bit. Uh, and and uh, the, the interesting thing about the church there was a church about 250 and uh, right on 3rd Street, uh, just have five minutes old, just a little bit away from the Watterson Expressway. But our, our church was a little bit different. We had a variety of people, mostly older, you know. And uh, it, was, it was a thrill, but it was also a challenge. We had one fella who would sit over here on my left, and uh, bless his heart, he had some, oh, he had some emotional kind of struggles, and we were there for him and with him and encouraged him. But sometimes if I would ever raise my voice a little bit, trying to make a good point in preaching, he'd get a little nervous and he'd start talking back at me, you know. And he would say, well, I don't know about that, you know. 
And then I, I would think, okay, I'm raising my voice too much over here. Yeah, yeah that's right. I, and I think he's, something's wrong with him, you know. And he'd just ride back at me all the time. And now if, if I ever softened my voice and tried to say in a dramatic way a, a scripture or something like that, we had two old fellas, Garnet Cloyd and Robert Long, who sit right next to each other, couple of widowers right back here. And uh, the best way to tell you who they are were the two guys on the Muppet Show, okay? <laughs> Up there in that cabana seating. Because if I ever got too soft, they participated as well. And they would say, I can't hear it. I can't hear a thing he's saying, Garnet. Well, I can't either. Tell him to speak up. You know, that all up. I didn't ever get too soft. You didn't, don't get too loud, don't get too soft. Now, true story, they paid a gal from another church to come play the organ, which nobody knew how to play. It's one of those electronic things, and, and she didn't really want to be there, but it was a nice check. And anyway, to, to not get into that whole thing, she's playing during the songs all the high church stuff that none of us know. And while I'm preaching, she reads Cosmopolitan magazine right in front of me. I hope nobody brought one of those today, okay? And so I, I, I don't lean here too much. I keep my voice nice and loud, and I ain't looking over here, all right? It's too depressing. But when my friend Chris was there, Chris was affirming. And if I made an okay point, he would say, that's right. I lean to him. He's right over here. If I'd say something else, he would say, amen, amen. And once in a while, he, he'd say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I found myself leaning a little bit towards, towards Chris where he was seated at the time. Every once in a while, he wouldn't say amen or well. He would say, he would say well. And, and uh, I, I asked him one time, I said, Chris, I get amen. I, I understand, mm-hmm, and that's right. What does well mean? He said, well, keep trying. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but I'll keep trying on all that. But you can imagine where I wound up for those three years preaching most of my sermons. I don't know about that. Tell him to speak up. Oh, boy. Well, amen. I'm right over here with Chris every time. He understood the power of affirmation. Affirmation to another person is very important. Amen. Amen, it really is. Now, we're in the COVID thing, in the post-COVID thing, or whatever we want to call that, and you know me, I'm just turning the inside out till I can turn to say, turn to your neighbor, but glance at your neighbor and, and say, you're a very fine person, all right? Just let them know that. Just a moment of affirmation, all right? We're glad that God's given us the opportunity here. Now, if you're kind of joining us in, this, in the middle of the series, we're on week three out of five. The first one, Nathan talked about uh, the, trying to discern the, the difference in the truth within the lie that we hear, that we are what we have. Last week, Tim Foote talked about dealing with the lie of we are what we do and not hold our identity into that. Tim, if you were here with, with us and here, Tim, wasn't that a great message? And I love every time I hear him and his Australian accent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every time I hear him preach, I want to go to Outback and get a blooming onion. I just do. <laughs> He's a great friend of the, of the church and, and everyone here, really thankful. But next two weekends, Nathan will talk about discerning the difference in the lie and, and counteracting that of, of uh, our best moment and our worst moment. But this weekend is about letting other people determine who we are. The lie of I am what other people say or what other people think about me. 
Now, the whole series is based upon Romans 12. It'll appear on the screen, I think. Let me read it for you. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 is a classic foundational passage in the Bible that gets quoted many times. Paul's writing to, to those early Christians in the city of Rome, and he says, So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, four things I want to share today to dive right in on. If you're taking notes, they're just four. And they're basically this. In, in light of understanding that we want to counteract that lie of we are who other people say that we are. First of all, there are some realities we need to embrace. Think along with me. What are the realities that we just have to say, okay, I got to quit fooling myself and hold on to the reality and embrace that. Number one is, is there are some battles that threaten us. And you and I are in a very deep spiritual battle when it comes to our identity. That's why this whole series is so important for us to dive in and let God speak to our heart about it. Craig Rochelle has a book called Winning the War of Your Mind. In that, he talks about familiar passages of Scripture that remind us of the spiritual battle that we're in. Uh, Ephesians 6, where it says, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. In other words, the Christian walk and, and the spiritual battle we're in is not an arm wrestling kind of a thing. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus made it very clear. He said, here's what the enemy, the deceiver, the devil is all about. He is here to steal and kill and destroy. And he wants to ruin everything that matters to God. In 1 Peter 5, there's the warning of the battle that we're in, uh, where Peter says, you, you need to hear what I have to say about this, because the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. We are very much in this battle. And Craig goes ahead and says there's a scientific thing behind that because the decisions we make and sometimes when we don't recognize the battle and we give in and we let other people determine what our identity or we find it in some other way apart from what God says, then we develop these kind of neural pathways of the same behavior, the same behavior, the same mistake over and over and over again. And that downward spiral needs to be interrupted. He says what happens in our mind sometimes, in our heart, is that these neural pathways become just that, pathways. And a path is usually something you, uh, uh, it turns into a rut eventually if people walk on it, walk on it, walk on it. And, and a rut is nothing that's ever intentionally made. He said we need to dig new trenches of our identity. And new trenches in, in the mind that is intentional saying, God, here's how I'm going to understand who I am in my relationship with you. But he says, we've got to remove some things that are wrong in our thinking. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, we're here to tear down the strongholds, things that have a stronghold on our life. He says, we're here to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. So one reality is we're in a battle 
Another reality is there are things that we delight in that form us and shape us. And, and sometimes we need to be very well aware of, okay, where's that comfort moment, that thing that just makes me feel a little bit better? For some, it might be food, it might be shopping, it might be this, it might be that. And, and we just weave all those things into our experience thinking that's going to take the pain away a little bit. And we have to be careful that what we delight in we have to know that that will shape us. That's kind of what we'll become. Now, I love Psalm uh, 1, verses 1 through 3. And uh, after 10 years in children's ministry of trying to help kids learn verses here and there, I found out you got to sing it and say it and give them some motion. So uh, when we worked with kids years ago, Psalm 1, I had to have a few motions with that. It simply says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. See, I gotta have help to remember stuff like that, you know. Uh, my sister, uh, Kathy, she was a kindergarten teacher forever, just retired a couple of years ago. I said, Kathy, what'd you learn in teaching all these years? She said, if I can get them to sing it or if I can get them to eat something, they'll remember it, okay? You just, it, it ties in. Things that we delight in. And here David says, I delight in the law of the Lord and it gives me strength and it helps me be stable and it helps me bear fruit and it helps me prosper. Make no mistake, it's not in the escapes of life. It's in the delighting in the law of the Lord and knowing. Now, if we can understand that's the reality that we have to embrace, we'll be well on our way to letting God determine our identity. The second thing is there's some exaggerations we've got to expose. There's some things that just aren't right that we need to call into check. What would have happened if when the devil was talking to Eve in the Garden of Eden, she would have said, hey, that ain't right. That's not what I heard, and that's not what he said, and that's not what he said. So, you know, just kind of get on out of here. Well, what would have happened if she would have ex exposed that exaggeration? Oh, you're surely not going to die. God didn't really mean that. What would have happened if Adam would have said to Eve, hey, hon, we can't do this. And even though she said, hey, let me pick where we're going to eat today. You can pick tomorrow, you know. Well, it didn't turn out too good. See, in Adam's response should have, have been much different as well. He should have said, whoa, 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 but he didn't. He said, nah, I guess it's no big deal. You, know? you see, when we don't expose the exaggeration, when we know it's wrong, it'll take us in a whole different way. Whether we allow our identity to be based on what we have, what we do, what others say, or our best or our worst moments. Now, there are voices in our heart and life, and particularly family of origin and childhood, that we have to recall. Some we want to recall, and it nurtures our heart and blesses our spirit. And let's be honest, though. Some of us, the voices of our childhood and past, we've been trying to recover from for a long time. God wants his voice of your identity to be the strongest voice, regardless of perhaps how we grew up. 
If, if you caught a lot of slander because you got shame so you get blame, or if you get the seductive voice from other people of, uh, of uh, since you got game, then you get fame. It doesn't matter what it is. If we listen to other people, even in the area of flattery, I mean, flattery I've heard is like a perfume or cologne. It smells good, but whatever you do, don't swallow it. Don't think that somebody really means every nice thing that they perhaps might say to you. And we can't allow our feelings about ourselves and our identity to be based on the popular opinion out there. I remember in the movie Richard Dreyfuss, uh, uh, he starred in it. It was called The Goodbye Girl, and he won an Academy Award in 1978. In the movie, he plays this character of a struggling actor, tried to get on Broadway, didn't work. So he settled for an off-Broadway off kind of a, a play or drama, and the director took him in a whole different direction of this character, and he knew He's much more capable than they're giving him an opportunity to play in this part, but he still wanted to read the review and he stayed up all night to wait for the critic's review and it was just devastating to him and he, he just has to get intoxicated to make it through uh, until morning, you know, or he can crash then, but it was, it, it, he just put too much emphasis on what the criticism might be. And, and we can find ourselves in the same way about that. Now, I'm not on Facebook, but I'm fine if you are. I just, uh, in the immortal words of Sweet Brown, ain't nobody got time for that. I mean, I don't have the margin, you know. That, that takes a lot of time. But I know a lot of people who do encourage a lot of people on uh, Facebook. I, I just, I'll, I'll be content to miss out on a lot. See, I'm a recovering pleaser, okay? So if your feelings are hurt, I kind of want you to feel a little better. What if your feelings are hurt and it's your fault? It's hard to kind of tell the truth. So I find that I have to be careful and be honest. The Bible says speak the truth in love, but we've got to be careful in that. And we can't believe everything somebody says about us here or there. My parents did try to tell me at an early age. They said, now, George, realize this. Uh, if someone says you're a horse's behind, all right, if they say that, just disregard it. Don't worry about it at all. Now, if two people come up and tell you that, you might need to consider it. If three people come up and tell you your horse is behind, you better buy a saddle because that's the way you've been acting, all right? And they tried to put that in my head of don't let it bother you, don't let it really bother you, but let's be honest about that. If we're hurting people's feelings, this and that, we've got to take a moment and understand because we have a tendency to duplicate what we've had in our life. And it's very unconscious. I, I, I love the, the progressive commercials, Dr. Rick. Isn't he your favorite guy in there? You know, he's the guy who helps people not become their parents. You know, and he's there, mm, mm, you know, just kind of. And he comes to this one lady, she's got 12 pillows on a little love seat. And he says, there's no place to sit, you know. Let's get rid of some of these things. He takes a few of them like to Home Depot and a guy's checking out and his hair's really dyed a bright color and they're all standing there. They all want to say something. He says, we all see it. We all see it. We all see it. Hoping they're not going to say a thing. And the guy on the end, blue, you know, he, he can't hold it in any longer. I, I, I love to see all the different ones. <laughs> and then he'll, 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 he'll have a great seminar moment with him and say, guess what? <laughs> The waiter doesn't really need to know 
your name, you know. But our favorite one for Sue Lynn and I, we love the trash can where they're throwing away signs, you know. And, and he just simply says, you know, do you really need a sign to remember to live, laugh, and love? Boom, throws it away. But then the final gal is great. She gets up there, no cussing, no fussing, and he can't stand it anymore. Bam, right there in the trash can. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just say, here are the public opinions or the messages we've received through our life or things that people have said or things that we for some reason feel we need to duplicate. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just kind of trash all, all those things together and not be influenced by them? And that's what the Bible says. God says we've got to be careful not to give anyone else the permission to speak our identity or predict our future behavior, what it might be, and to minimize it and hold us in hostage on that. There are definitely some realities we need to embrace and some exaggerations we need to expose. But settle in with me on this one because the third thing, this passage is uh, memorable, tattoo-worthy, and everything you can ever begin to think. It's the identity to receive and believe who God says you are. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, let me do a little start and stop on this, these passages, these verses here. Peter's telling the early believers, he said, all right, there are people who rejected Jesus he is the chief cornerstone. He's our, our Savior, the Messiah. But some have not acknowledged that. And they, they won't follow him. They won't live in obedience to him. And he says in verse 9, but you're not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. God says a lot about your identity. You and I, if we have a faith in Christ, belong to him. You and I can trust him and we know that we are becoming like him. We're a little slow on that, but we belong to him and we're intended to be his people. He goes on and says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. There's a purpose. There's a purpose that you and I are made in the image of God and now remade in his image. That we are his people. And it's so that we can let other people simply know to funnel, to reflect his light and his love and his truth to the world around us. In verse 10, he goes on and says, once you had no identity as a people, but now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you've received God's mercy. He's saying, here's a before picture and an after picture of what you and I used to be like before we knew the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, he says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. In the midst of us knowing who we are in Christ, we have to take very seriously that our identity can be threatened and thwarted if we fall into worldly desires. And we let other people tell us what's important so that we can find acceptance and approval from them. Well, maybe not being terrible, but just not being as good. Not being as exclusive. Not being holy in our language as he is holy. Verse 12, he says, be careful. 
to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. I love the NIV version. This is the NLT, New Living Translation. The NIV says, live such good lives among the pagans. In other words, make sure that we live as believers, but yet we, we realize we, we got people around and company. We, we need to make sure that our heart and our life reflect the true love of God. Not that anything we do is going to be offensive, but it's going to be misunderstood many times. You see, it's the encouragement that needs to happen there. Then he finishes that passage by saying, then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. That is the goal, is for us to take people to heaven with us, not just get our reservations all set and our ticket punched, but to make sure that God uses you and me because of our dependence on him and what we allow him to change us and transform us by the renewing of our mind, but yet what we put on our mind is what he puts there, delighting in his law and in his word and the identity that he gives us, and we get to celebrate that together. I remember uh, I had a conversation, goodness, years and years ago with a lady. It was just kind of when the new age thing was coming around again. The new age thing is an old, uh, old age story and deception, but it's just kind of that we're all spiritual people, but it doesn't really matter. And in this conversation with this gal who was very philosophical, she said, uh, well, isn't it something, don't you just love to begin to adapt your view of God and realize through the years, the older that we get, oh, he's just, uh, well, he's just not what we thought. He's just more loving and more forgiving. And certain things just don't matter anymore. And I thought, oh boy, what am I going to do with this one, you know? uh, and, And then when she finally said it, because we all are God's children, time out. Okay, just a second. No, we're not. How could you say something like that, that we're not all God's children? I said, I'm not saying it. I'm just repeating it. I said, listen to me just for a moment. We turn to John chapter 1. I said, now John, very close to Jesus, and he's writing this gospel, and all this stuff is true, cover to cover. I believe it. And he says, he uses symbolically Jesus meaning the the word. And in the beginning of John, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. I said, let's move on a few other verses. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of God. That's John writing because he was an eyewitness. Okay, you with me? Now we went on a few verses later. And it says, he came into his own, but his own did not receive him. But to those who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Becoming a child of God is not a birthright, it's a rebirth right. You see, that's the difference we, we cannot kind of feel everybody's going to make it. Ah, ain't that bad. Oh, no. Then why in the world did Jesus go to the cross and die for you and me? Because we are that bad. But we need to have a rebirth in our heart, in our spirit, in our mind, and a change that comes about. And when we believe and when we trust and when we accept and believe on his name, then we are given also, like John says, the right to become the children of God. And it, amen. That's the truth. So now, how do we make that change happen? 
Because there are changes. Some changes just have to happen. I, uh, through the years, you know, the older you get, you kind of think in different terms. And I, I think people are in two categories, believers and unbelievers. And believers uh, in Christ for what he's done for us, uh, they need to re-enlist. Every believer here today needs to re-enlist. But every unbeliever here today needs to reconsider. Reconsider the truth and the love and the grace of God. And when we do, there are changes that we need to make. A fellow by the name of Hans Moll, he's, he's Dutch and a theologian, and he had a book called Identity and the Sacred. And, and he talks about, uh, in his study of, of people in life and, and faith, he said, uh, what, what seems to happen is there are four things when any person becomes a part of a faith or of, of a religion. And he says in all of his studies, he's found it's basically this. Number one, there's kind of a discarding. The things that they did or the things that they thought formerly, he, he said they just need to be discarded. And that's what happens. They just say, I'm laying this aside. I'm putting this behind me. And I'm letting go of something if I'm going to become part of this. The second thing, I would call it a detox. He calls it confusion and rootlessness. And he describes that. But I have to either rhyme or let it begin with the same letter, you know, and alliterate. So if we're going to discard something, that's part of the beginning of our change. But then we have to be comfortable with this moment of letting it get, that get out of our system. Letting that kind of go and take us into a place where we just say, I'm letting go of this. And before I fully embrace this, I have to be in a moment of letting go. And the residual effect of discarding. After that, he says, you move from chaos to meaning, and I would call that a time of being directed. God, draw me to truth here. I've let go. I'm a little confused, but I'm listening to you. And all through our series, you'll identify with one of these five. You are what you have, what you do, what other people say, your best, your worst. And you will find one of those is something you need to discard so that you can detox and say, God, I'm getting that all out of my system so now I can be directed by you. And he says the fourth step is those people are then incorporated into a community of like-minded people. I call that being discipled. We're discipled, we're drawn together by the truth that God gives us. And we lay aside everybody else's opinion about Christianity, about God, about the Bible, all their doubts, and about us even. Charity Walker Byers, Charity Byers, her married name, I've known her forever. Uh, her, her dad, John, is one of my dear friends. Uh, he began a ministry called Blessing Ranch, and, and Charity has transitioned to be leading that as he's kind of stepped aside. They put together a book, and she's written it, called Unhindered. It's a great book. And if you're ever trying to think, how can I work through this idea of letting God rewrite my story? That's her tagline. How can I overcome the woundedness that I feel, the things that have shaped my heart that I wound up having an, an identity that I really didn't want to have. She says, as you work through that and if, as you give God back the pen, put it in his hand so he can rewrite every chapter of your story that needs to be rewritten. 
She says, when you do that, then, then there's four questions you have to get to a point that you can ask, ask. She says, number one is you have to ask yourself the question, is God good? Because if you can't get past that, if you can't say, okay, God is good even though I don't understand everything that he does or things that he allows to happen. If you don't, you'll never get past your hostility and resentment towards him. She said, the second question is, am I good? Uh, even though I'm flawed, even though I'm messed up and I've made plenty of mistakes, am I good? Am I worthy of his love on some level? Question number three is, are people good? Because a lot of folks can get past question one and two, but they're going to hold you hostage if you're not perfect. And she says, you got to get past that. You got to let God help you get past that. Question number four. Is life good, even though it's difficult, even though it's hard? She says, if you can authentically say yes to all four of those questions, if you can say, you know what, in my heart, God, I know you're good, even though I don't understand why you allowed this to happen. And I, I know there's a good part in me, even though, boy, I feel bad about what I've done. And I know there's good in people, even though they are equally broken and flawed, just like me. And God, I know that life is a gift from you, even though at times it is so hard. She said, if you can get to that point, then you will have established what she would call a ruthless trust in God and an unshakable hope in him. Brennan Manning coined that phrase, ruthless trust, long ago. And he said, it's just the absence of self-pity. If you can just quit feeling sorry for yourself, something we all will struggle with at times. Jesus said in John chapter 8, he says, this freedom to be who I've called you to be, not what everybody else might say, is something I give to you. Who the Son sets free is free indeed.